This episode of Inquisitive Behind the App is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity, Campaign Monitor, and Brave Wave. Developing an app can take months or even years, and it all leads up to one day, launch day. But before you can press ready for sale in the App Store, there's work to be done. All of the hard work that you've been doing, all of the hours you've spent coding, all of those sleepless nights you've had thinking about how much of a success your app could be, leads up to one day that you just have to plow through before it's out into the world. And that's the day before launch. I have a terrible time with this for my own projects. When I've been working hard on something for a while that I'm really excited about, I just never want to wait. I just want it to be out there and in the world. And there have been times when I've done just that. When I've thrown caution to the wind and released something early or as soon as it's done. But I have learned over time that it's best to be patient and to ensure that the work that I've put in is properly recognised. If you want to give yourself the best shot at making something successful, it actually helps to have a plan. I've spoken to a handful of people that have made plans and launched their apps into the world, and even a couple of developers who were right on the midst of releasing their apps as we recorded. Today, we're going to hear how it feels to look back at your launch and how it feels when you're right on the verge. So let's get on with the show. Your first 24 hours in the App Store are pivotal to long-lasting success. Day one of an app being available in the store is widely recognized as the biggest day in sales that you're likely going to see. You can look at the sales graphs of any developer, and barring a few exceptions, they're going to show the exact same results. That first day, is a big deal. For me personally, the first day of this podcast series saw twice the total downloads of the previous week's episodes. The weekly audience for this show doubled in one day because of how I targeted for my launch day. I did a lot of work in advance to try and make sure we could have the biggest bang possible. But growth from this point, like for many apps, is a slower burn and a lot harder work. I've spoken to a whole bunch of developers to ask them exactly what it's like the night before they release their apps. Today, let's start with David Smith. David has released hundreds of apps to the App Store, so by now, you think that he'd have his process pretty tight. Sure. So it's it depends on how how big of a bet I'm making on the application. So some apps, the run-up to launch is surprisingly limited like i will just send out a i'll build it submit it to the store and maybe once i think it's about a week out i'll send a few emails to people in the press or things like that for people i know who i think might it might be interesting to to put it in front of them and just kind of hope for the best uh if i'm doing a bigger launch if i'm launching a bigger product or a bigger service or something like that the process tends to start, you know, months before getting a lot of materials in place, having people beta test it, um, kind of going through the process, probably doing a couple of test submissions to Apple to make sure it gets approved, um, even before I launch it so that I can have some control over the exact launch date. Um, but for better or worse, honestly, the, the process for me of launching an app is kind of haphazard for the most part. Um, I, it's something that often feels to me like I'm doing just 
sort of grunt work that isn't work I enjoy. It's things that I think I probably should do, but I don't really have my heart into it. And so most of what I'm doing around then is just trying to make sure that the product I'm shipping is good in quality. And then hopefully, you know, in some ways for I, the, the marketing is the product. And so the work I've done is just trying to get it to that place in the first place. In a similar fashion to David, Guy English also sees this process as very procedural and as a part that just needs to be pushed through. He's also dealt with the launch of many apps over time and considers himself to be a bit of a veteran with the process. I'm kind of numb to it now. <laughs> uh, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, you know, we used to we used to send a you know dvds or even cds out to to get pressed and, and packaged into boxes and then we get the box and then it'll be on a shelf um it's it's a relief it's nerve-wracking especially now that i'm you know i with the company that i have with uh it, well it's it's chris my friend thomas and my friend luke um that's our company right so when we release something uh we get the support emails immediately, uh, you know, the, the day before. Um, shipping the product to me is kind of second nature by now. I've shipped a lot of product. Um, I expect, frankly, I expect problems. Um, you know, a, a, a good tester is worth their weight in gold. Uh, and man, man, I love good testers that take... It's the most undervalued thing in technology, I think, is, is, a, is a good tester. Um, but no matter how, how well you try, um, something's going to screw up or somebody's going to notice something that's off. So that's kind of part of the process. You, you put it out and you see what people say. Then you fix it, make it better. And that's one of the nice things about software is that um, you get a chance to make it better. Uh, you know, if you, you know, you create a painting and, it, and, and it's huge, it's like the size of a wall and it's, you're, you're done and you know there's mistakes, uh, but you're done because any mistake you fix is just going to screw up the painting a little bit more, make it less of what it should be. Um, you have a final piece of work and it's, it's effectively immutable. Um, I think software is one of those nice things where, you can tweak it. You can, you can find a mistake, and you can fix it. Uh, now, through the App Store, the, that cycles a little bit slower than if you're just releasing directly, and that can be frustrating. Um, but ultimately, I, I do think that the the notion that you can fix your work after you've released it um, really, really. Um, gratifying like it it, it 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 makes me feel better it makes me feel like i've got like a little bit of a um you know a, a support behind me used to be you know you'd ship a cd and then if something was totally screwed up good luck getting good luck anybody getting a patch like really on their modem they're going to download a patch like maybe but you know Meanwhile, all of these people, and the funny thing is the numbers are so much smaller. It would be like, look, 20 people. <laughs> the, the, the notion that these people can fix the software that you've made a bug in was like nil. Now, at least, 
the numbers are huge in terms of who can actually get your software. Uh, and yeah, there's a delay in terms of the, the review cycle. Um, but you get to fix stuff, which is, uh, I, I think, really nice. When we get back from this break, we're going to hear from some people that are less seasoned with this process and find it that little bit more nerve-wracking. Simply because you're listening to this show, you know Brave Wave. Brave Wave is an independent music label that produces and composes for video games and other mediums. Some of their previous projects have included games like Shovel Knight, Adventure Time, The Secret of the Nameless Kingdom, and other projects like this very podcast series, Behind the App. They have helped provide all of the music that we have for this show. Brave Wave is headed by the composers of Mega Man, Ninja Gaiden, Metal Gear Solid, and a few more. These guys have such an incredible background. Brave Wave also produces and publishes music albums, and recently they released the first ever solo album of the Ninja Gaiden composer Keiji Yamagishi, with his comeback after a decade of abandoning games and game-like music. This album is called Retroactive Part 1, and it is stunning. I have been listening to it constantly whilst writing the scripts for these very shows, and it really keeps me going. I love it. For listeners of Inquisitive, Brave Wave are giving a special 10% discount on their catalogue of award-winning albums. Go to store.bravewave.net and use the code YAYRELAY, that's Y-A-Y-R-E-L-A-Y, for 10% off when you check out and indulge yourself in this world of incredible music. Uh, it's weird. It's, uh, it's an interesting mix of excited nervous but also tired and a little bored um i spoke to john Voorhees literally the day before his app blink was launched when we spoke john was emotionally frazzled he's been working on this project for months now and he was just waiting for the next 24 hours to pass very excited for the app to go live uh, I, I think i was more nervous though when i first sent the app out to a small group of people who I knew and whose opinions I respected because at the time it was still a pretty rough app um, and I needed help. I needed someone, you know, I needed people to give me some feedback and help shape the direction of the app. Um, and doing that, especially when it's in a rough draft form, was probably the most nerve wracking, more so than actually launching out to the world. Um, I'm also, when I say I'm a little bored and tired, one, I am tired. I've been working hard on this for a long time now, and especially the last few months have been a really hard push working on this, you know, nights and weekends, so really every spare moment I've had. Um, and, and bored because I, I, while I don't dislike the marketing aspect of this, it's not my favorite part. It's a necessary part of the process, um, but I want to get back to projects and, and coming up with the next app that I want to work on. I've done a little bit of work on the next version of Blink over the last week or so, which was a nice, was nice relief from thinking about, um, you know, promotional videos and, and emails and, and all those sorts of things. Marco Arment has released many successful apps to the world, but just like John, he was most nervous when he showed his app Overcast to people he respected for the first time. I was nervous about, like, people thinking it sucked way more when I was giving it to the beta testers. Like, when I sent out that first beta, I was extremely nervous. Like, because I'm sending this to all of my friends who are also depressed, but mainly these people who I want to impress and, and who respect my work. And, like, I don't, wanna, I don't want to disappoint them. I'd be very disappointed if they thought the app sucked or was mediocre. 
you were in that group too. Uh, so I, that was like the, the judgment of the app I had already gotten past in the beta period. Because I, I knew if all of you guys liked it, or most of you at least seemed to, so I'm like, all right, well, the public, the public will be fine. Like, I figured the public would basically reflect what you guys said, and they basically did. Uh, so <laughs> it was no big deal. Um, but I was definitely concerned about server stuff. And until the launch happened, I had no idea how that would go. And it went, it went great, actually. It went better than I could ever, ever imagined. Uh, but I didn't know until it happened whether it would or not. Marco's concerns about his server taking on lots of new users on launch day were only exacerbated when he found out that Apple wanted to feature Overcast in the store. Um, so Apple had gotten in touch, and like when they when they saw the submission, like the the way that the editorial team works is they they monitor the submission queue, or some or somebody monitors the submission queue, looking for good apps to potentially feature, and so. If they're interested in featuring your app, they will usually contact you while it's being reviewed, and, and say, "Hey, uh, any you know any chance you can get us some artwork? We might, we might want to feature it in the app store." Um, and and so you can start a conversation there. And so they will never tell you you are definitely getting featured. You know they won't commit to that. At least I've never seen that. Maybe, maybe bigger companies get that. I don't know. Probably not. Uh, but you can gen- you generally know if there's a, if if you're going to be featured or not. You know ahead of time that it's very likely to happen. So I knew I was going to get featured. I believe it was I believe it's Thursday that they changed it over, and I believe I launched on Wednesday because I emailed them because usually like they want you to hold the app's release until Thursday. Like don't release it earlier than the feature because they they want to like break the news with you. You know, um, and and even that's like that's not I don't think ever explicitly said or required of you but i think it's like asked and suggested that you know this would be nice if you could do this and when the people who are featuring you ask you to do something out of the kindness of your heart it's you know good idea to just say yes yeah (laughs) so so uh and i I believe i asked them i'm like you know hey i'm a little concerned about like if this really explodes because i had no idea what the server load would be like the server needs on my on my servers because it's a server-based app like i like I know what what a beta group needs of, you know, 40 people testing the app. That's nothing. You know, if you're featured, you're going to get thousands of people on day one. Like, you have no idea. You have no idea how, how you know, how your servers are. And, like, it, this, this kind of thing, like, it's very hard to, like, load test ahead of time. So I had no clue what my server needs would be and whether my servers would just crash immediately as soon as everyone started using it or not. I had no idea. That was my biggest fear. And so I actually went back to when I went back to the Apple editorial uh, person who was in content. I'm like, hey, you know what? When I release this thing, there's going to be a lot of press about it in in the in the Apple tech press. That's going to drive a lot of people. When you feature it, it's going to drive even more people. Any chance I can get you to let me release it on Wednesday, and then you feature it on Thursday? It's, you know, like the, with the regular Thursday. Because I'm like, if I release it a day early, then I can work out any server issues within that day before you feature it. And they were like, yeah, that's good. Perfect. Sounds good. So that's what I did. So that, that eased the, the stress a lot. Because uh, I, I knew that I, I would have like one day of all of you guys talking about it and then the next day of Apple featuring it so that if there were any problems, I had a day to fix them. And then usually, you know, especially like with all the experience of Tumblr, like I, I, I was pretty sure I could fix like a, a server bottleneck in a day. You know, usually that's enough time. When we come back from this next break, we're going to take a look at how Apple's system can add additional stress, strain, and complexity when you're trying to get ready to release your app. 
But first, I'd like to thank Campaign Monitor for sponsoring this week's episode of Inquisitive. Campaign Monitor are an elegant email marketing service for designers, agencies, and businesses. They have more than 2 million people at over 120,000 companies around the world using and loving the Campaign Monitor system for its simple and beautiful user experience, pixel-perfect design, and 24-7 global support. Campaign Monitor's customers love their email building tool. It's called Canvas, and it will help you create elegant, responsive templates that are going to look fantastic on all screen sizes. And you can even target the content that you want to send out to your subscribers according to their own preferences allowing you to make sure you're hitting your customers with the right message at the right time. Once you've sent out your campaigns, you're able to see how your subscribers interact with them on their real-time map called Worldview. So you just see people pop up all around the world as they're opening, sharing, and interacting with your emails. Campaign Monitor works fantastically with teams. It's really, really easy to collaborate with people you work with and with your clients. You can easily set permissions, rebrand the interface for them, and even manage billing all from within their app. If you want to find find out more about Campaign Monitor, go check them out right now and sign up for a free account at campaignmonitor.com. Thank you so much to Campaign Monitor for the continued support of this series. Campaign Monitor, helping you send beautiful emails to get better results. Michael Simmons of Flexibits was getting ready to launch Fantastical 2 for Mac when we spoke. They sell their app directly, but also through the Mac App Store, so when coordinating for the launch of their app, they know that they have to consider the uncertainty of Apple review times. So we have a date in mind before we submit. So we say this is the date we'd like to ship. This is the date that we are going to target all of our events. That means updating our website and doing the launch and being ready with support and all of the things that come along with a launch, we, we pick a date. Once that date is picked, we say, okay, how many days is the average approval time? We, we target a date and then we kind of work back from there, but we schedule our submission knowing that we have somewhat of a buffer. I mean, you know, let's say we're submitting on X date. We don't just submit, you know, f- four days before or six days before and like go, oh, I hope we have a speedy approval because that would be stupid. Um, things happen, right? So, you know, the average approval time now is maybe seven or eight days. I think they're on nine days. I don't know. But, you know, so submitting 10 to 14 days prior, you're really assured you're going to get approved on time. And if there's a problem, you've built in buffer for that. When we've heard from Russell Ivanovich from Shifty Jelly in the past, he has spoken about how much easier the Android platform can be. But naturally, things still can go wrong, no matter how much better it may be. When Shifty Jelly was releasing Pocket Cast 5 for Android, they ran into an issue that they were not expecting. So part of the process is very similar. You know, you have to gather screenshots of various um, screens. We'd like to do things like edit them a bit, you know, clean up the title bars, that sort of thing. Um, write the description, you know, get the new assets sort of ready to go. So it's it's all formatted in a folder ready so that when we go to the the admin area of the store, we can just say, you know, upload, upload, copy, paste. So that part is extremely similar to to iOS. I guess the the massive difference in, in, is that you know you put all these assets in there, you upload your um, your application, you hit the publish button, and then you know that an hour later, you know that's in the store, and that's that's the crazy part. With with the Apple process, you know you press submit, and now you have to wait. You know, is it going to be rejected? Is it you know going to have things wrong with it? Is is Apple going to say something about it? And 
you don't know what length of time that's going to go for. So that's that's the massive difference. Is there's no there's no approval process. You know, you press publish, and then you just sit back for an hour. You know, getting all giddy. Although, funny, funnily enough, in this release for the first time ever, um, our app actually got stuck in the submission process. So, eleven thirty a.m. You know, our time here in Adelaide, Australia, we pushed the submit button, and then at twelve thirty, um, we're pressing the refresh button. And nothing's happening. And then at one o'clock, we're pressing the refresh button, and nothing's happening. And then at one thirty, and it's still not there. And we started to tease it, you know, at the start of the day. And now we felt really bad. You know, we've got all these people ready for the release. We've got all these press people lined up to, you know, write articles about it, and we've given them an embargo date. And the app is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> so I'm putting, you know, frantic emails back to Google saying, you know, what's going on? Where's the thing? And there's there's people looking at it, but because of all the the time zone differences and whatever else, I think it took a good you know, 18 hours before it got in the store. And that, that's the most anything's ever taken. It was it was quite funny. I didn't get a lot of sleep that night. Apple's tools on the distribution side. So iTunes Connect, essentially, like the place that all the developers go to submit their apps. It, it ha- has never really felt like it was designed for shipping software, which is probably true because it was designed, I imagine, for submitting music to the iTunes store and then TV shows and movies and things where it's not something that's constantly being updated. You know, if they if someone puts out a movie, they don't tend to update the movie six weeks later with bug fixes and say, "Oh, we we changed the you know we changed the cuts in the scene, we changed the lighting over here, but it gets better." <laughs> Here's a new version, and so the the way in which the iTunes Connect has always kind of worked, or the way in which Apple's tooling works, has always felt a little awkward and it's it's fine that like you just kind of make do with it but it's a lot of what you do just is a, it's just a lot of a lot of work there's a lot of things that you're just kind of churning through and this gets most notably seen when you anytime you try and localize an application so you make it available in multiple languages this process becomes just brutal because the amount of information Apple asks for you for every uh, every language that you support in the App Store is pretty substantial. You need a title. You need a set of screenshots for every iPhone screen size. So, you know, for you need a on the iPhone side, you need a the short Retina iPhone. You need the tall Retina iPhone. You need the six and the six plus, and you need an iPad. So you have five five sets of icons. You can submit up to five for each of those. So it's 25 screenshots. You submit uh, an app preview now, and you can submit an app preview for all of those as well. So I guess now you're up to 30 different uh, visual assets. You have a description, uh, other kind of meta information, copyright stuff that can be localized to all the different languages. And it becomes this horrific kind of multiplicative process that you're sitting there doing in a web browser kind of dragging things around copy pasting and it always feels kind of awkward and they've approached this and this gets better all the time and so i don't want to it's necessarily nothing to beat up too much like they definitely make progress on this there's tools you can do to do this kind of in batch now by building files and submitting them through an api and things like that but it always feels a little awkward and a little rough uh to do and in some ways, I'm just used to it now, so I don't even think about it. It's just, okay, I'm about to submit an app. I'm just going to clear my afternoon and sit down, do a lot of dragging things around, a lot of copy-paste, um, and just kind of hope for the best. But 
it's I do kind of wish that that could be better. That there was a, it was more. It was I don't know, and some of it I don't know how you could make better. It, it's it's not you know there is always going to be that situation that if I localize my my app into ten languages, that I may need to create three hundred visual assets to submit to the the app store. Um, and that's always going to be difficult, but anything they can do to make that process easier is always appreciated. This is an example of the kinds of unglamorous things that you have to do when getting ready to launch your app. It's not all exciting, but it is necessary. Matt Bischoff of Lickability ran into this exact thing that David was talking about when they were localizing their app, quote book. So yeah, what you have to do in iTunes Connect, you fill out your what's new text probably in a bunch of different languages, and that's probably the biggest, the biggest hurdle is getting through all those languages if you're going to localize. Uh, upload your screenshots. That's a little bit complicated because you need screenshots for many devices. Um, now, you need iPhone, iPhone uh, 5, iPhone 6, iPhone 6 Plus, iPad. Um, How do you get those? Do you need to actually take them on the devices? Yeah, this was the most painful part about Quotebook 3's launch was actually we wanted all of the quotes in the different app stores to be quotes that make sense in the languages. Oh, man. Uh, so we had to go fi- find and source quotes for four different languages, put them all in the app in an order that makes sense, attribute it to the right authors, then screenshot them um, on all of those devices, and then upload all of those screenshots. That took probably 10 hours to do all of that. Well, at this point, it's I think everything's mostly on automatic pilot. Um, leading up to the launch in the past week, I've been uh, posting short videos and other information on Twitter. I've been contacting and and communicating with various websites. Um, I will pro- tonight late. I will press the big red button and launch the app. Uh, it needs to be done tonight. It, for the app to be live tomorrow because it can sometimes take up to eight hours for an app to propagate through the Apple CDN. Um, so tomorrow morning I'll get up, I'll check the, uh, I'll probably check Twitter first because, you know, it's going to take a full 24 hours before I get any data from Apple as to what the sales have been like, but I can pro- get a decent, um, decent feel for what the discussion is and how much buzz there will be from checking out Twitter uh, and also checking the sites that uh, have said that they're going to write about Blink. Considering the point in the process in which I spoke with John, I wanted to see what his goals were for Blink. I'm going to be checking in with him on a later episode to see exactly how the app fared on launch day so we can look back on these goals that he had the night before. Yes, although they're not goals that are concrete. Um, It's... And in a way, many of them have already been met in the sense that this app for me was a lot more than just making a certain amount of revenue within a certain period of time. Um, I am new to this. And so for me, Blink was a learning process uh, more than anything else and proving to myself that I can do something a little more complex. Um, So in that sense, I'm already satisfied with the results, but I'd be you know, I'd be lying to say uh, to lying if I uh, said that that was all there was. I mean, I obviously want this app to do well, and I want um, to see healthy 
amount of downloads, but I also don't have a real good feel for how big the market is. It's clearly a limited niche market. Um, the app has been priced accordingly um, as a productivity app and tool for writers. Before we finish up this week, let's take a moment to hear a message from our friends at Cards Against Humanity. It, it kind of started out as this um, this uh, project on like proximity and like how um, can I make a game that uses two phones and makes people interact with each other, like get close and uh, and do something interesting. So um, from that idea came this like shooter game where basically. Um, you would shoot from one here and the other. And a lot of the, it's, it's like a small, tiny little game, but a lot of the decisions that went into it um, were all like surrounded by the idea of like people being close and interacting together. And also um, how, can we, how can we make that play space better, I guess. I never, I never like tried to make a single player mode or do anything that would distract from like, this is like, you should be with someone or you gotta find and seek someone out to play this. Seeing people like out in the world, like actually use it and uh, and connect with other people is like has been really great, and everyone's been like super supportive and really nice about it, which is which is awesome. And uh, and I, I hear like a lot of comments and little stories about like people playing with their kids and people playing with their wives and stuff like that. So like when I hear all that stuff, it kind of just like hits me right in the heart. I'm like, oh yeah, it's awesome. It's like that's great that people are kind of fostering like a tiny little relationship because of this. Where can people find you on the internet? Sebastian Gostewa and my game is Duel. But letsduel.com is the website for the game right now. This time, we focused a lot on how it feels to get ready to launch, taking a look at people as they are completing the manual tasks just before they push their app out to the world. But there's one thing that I've left out today, and that's the final marketing push. This comes in two forms, teasing your app to build hype and contacting the press. Next week on Inquisitive. You want to ask as little of the press as you possibly can. And I think you know, one thing I've learned is, is you don't just send out form emails to a bunch of people willy-nilly. Well, I mean, really the only reason I, I did it at all with Overcast, the only reason I had that page up at all was because I wanted to be able to talk about the app like in public without having everyone try to guess what I was doing and then have someone else like blow my cover, you know? But I certainly think that having a good relationship with the press is vital to running a software business. I can instantly know with, uh, I would say, 90% accuracy just by looking at the formatting and the text of an email message, of an email pitch, if it's going to be worth it or not. Because my, I, I guess just my eyes have learned to visually parse an email and to know whether it's spam or if, you know, a game that I don't care about or if it's a hidden gem that I need to check out. 
Inquisitive is a production of Relay FM. You can find show notes and links for today's episode over at relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 34. Inquisitive is produced by Stephen Hackett, Adina Namsu, and me. Marco Savage is our editorial advisor. Huge thanks to everyone who has provided their time and feedback to help get this series off the ground. The music you've heard in this episode was created and provided by Bravewave Productions. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe and tell your friends or rate us in iTunes. Support for this episode has come from Cards Against Humanity, Bravewave, and Campaign Monitor. You can find out more about this show and all of our shows at Relay FM by visiting relay.fm. I am Mike Hurley at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.